Welcome to Radical Listening, the Portland podcast where we talk to local artists about their work. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. And I'm your co-host, Clifton Holtznagel. Today on the podcast, we have Don Jones-Redstone and Keisha Jarrett, the director and creative producer of See Me from Artist Repertory Theater and Oxygen. And they are uh, currently playing their short film at Portland International Film Festival now through March 14th. If you're hearing this, please go check out See Me before it ends on March 14th and listen to this conversation. We talk a little bit about the process. We also just kind of unpack how it all came together, why they focused on the things that they focused on, and just have a good conversation. Yeah, this film did a great job of like taking a look at what it's like to just be living in this world we're living in now. Yeah, I definitely felt like it was a really well put together portrait of what our summer all was, what our what we all experienced. And so check out the film and without any further delay, here's our interview with Don Jones Redstone and Keisha Jarrett. Welcome to Radical Listening. Today on the show, we have Don Jones Redstone and Keisha Jarrett from See Me, a film playing at the Portland International Film Festival from Artist Repertory Theater. Don is the director and Keisha is the creative producer. Keisha, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Doing great. And uh, Don, how are you doing? I'm also great. Good. <laughs> great, 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 great times. Yeah, it's good to see you both. <laughs> See Me really hit home for me because there were so many moments in that piece that I literally lived. L- literally, the the moment at the door, deciding whether or not I need to leave the house or deciding whether or not I had the courage to leave the house. The, the stuff with the phone, copying texts, literally did that. And then, oh my God, calling unemployment. What a nightmare that was. So what compelled you to create a portrait of quarantine? Um... Uh, Don likes this story, uh, which is that, uh, you know, at Artist Rep, where I'm the managing director, um, we have these intense moments of content creation we call Mercury Companies. And the first one we did was in June of 2020. So we started on June 1st, ended on June 30. Um, and when we started on June 1st, that was you know, five days after the video of George Floyd being murdered came out. And then um, a couple of days after that was when the video that Christian Cooper took of Amy Cooper saying that she was going to call the cops and say that a black guy was harassing her in the park. Uh, And so what started as a very baby seedling idea of like, hey, I feel like somebody should be writing something about what's happening at this time, like that's when the protests were really starting um, in in what we now future us know that, you know, it was over a hundred days of protesting. Um, But we had, we just gathered all the, the solely the black people that were involved in the Mercury company into a room. We met three times. And one of the first things we did as a group was say, we should call ourselves oxygen and oxygen is in honor of the many black people who've died with passwords being, I can't breathe. Um, and there for us to say like, I'm really tired of getting all of these text messages or phone calls or weird emails from people that I don't really know, but they're asking like how you are, but in a very sort of, I don't really care about you kind of way. Um, 
um, and just a way for us to even process uh, how we felt. Um, and, you know, there's a nicety about doing that without code switching. Um, so I asked everybody, like, just what does your day look like during COVID? And so that was everybody's homework. They wrote down what their day looked like from top to bottom. And then um, uh, really what we decided on is that we wanted to take this out of being just a project of a Mercury company and into a program of artist rep um, to foster some mentorship opportunity to also give some money for artists of color to make art and then third an affinity space for artist rep. And so I presented that to JS, who's our executive director and Thomaso, who is our artistic director. And they both doubled down and said like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was sort of decided in that, like, this looks like it, it's a short film. And so I made a phone call to Don and I was like, look, we want to do a short film that is about three to four Black people living in Portland during the time of COVID that is a slice of life. Um, what do you think? And she was like, hey, I love that idea. Can I see the script? And I was like, so what we're going to do <laughs> is during this next version of Mercury Company, we're going to write the script in the first week. And then we're going to have four weeks to really build it out. And then the last week we're going to film it. And she still said yes. <laughs> and of course, I love that story because it's such a good story. <laughs> and it's also important to talk about the origins. I mean, yeah, I think absolutely. it's uh, I think we need to talk about that. So, so Don, do you feel like now you are? Thank you to- for telling it yet again. No, yeah, I no, love it. You. I love that you like it. <laughs> so, Don, are you going to devise it's- more film now? Now that you've gotten you under you have this kind of mixture of theater devising and film editing and and directing my question is is this something that actually works with film because the piece the overall piece looks great you know it it, It did time i mean (laughs) it did this time i uh, who knows like i think it's uh you know i think one as i'm coming up and you know hopefully getting better at making films in general there is always this attempt to translate from the initial idea into something that other people connect with. And it happens to varying degrees, depending on what it is. I mean, the thing that I'm going to do next is something I've been thinking about and planning in my, you know, in my head and on paper for almost two years now. So Mm -hmm. it's probably not going to look as much like that because it's, I feel complete ownership over it, but I, but I think I am bringing a little bit of that as I invite other artists to collaborate with me in some new ways. Um, I would love to try it again. I would love to try it, especially because, damn, it was so efficient. Like, to, yeah. <laughs> to not, like who who wants to spend two years working? Like, you you, it's it's uh, incredibly liberating to just like go idea, boom. You know, like it doesn't happen that way all the time. Well, so. I was gonna say that it, resources it, is what it's about. It partly. captured the the immediacy of what we were all feeling. You know, I, I yeah. wonder if there was something to turning the project around so fast, writing it so fast and and putting it together so fast that allowed like when you're watching the film, you're like, yeah, I, I lived that. I did that. And I wonder, you know, sometimes when we elongate these processes, do we craft moments too much? And so was there an aspect? Did you notice yeah. anything like that? Did you notice that there was just things that just felt very natural for the actors or for yourself? Well, of course, I mean, of course, I think especially for the actors, because they were living it and then now they're just living it in front of the camera. I mean, obviously they're characters, but they, I think they brought themselves in that way to, um, to the roles. But I think also, 
because it was happening right then, you know, we filmed in, in November, there were things that we were like, yeah, I just did that yesterday. Or like, oh yeah, that, I mean, there were th- little things that came up that we were like, yeah, let's, let's put that in there. Or, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that was a factor for sure. Yeah. And I would also say that, you know, what, what happened was Don was the first person that we brought on. And then I talked to an animator who also then very quickly said yes. And then we just started building out a team, Ashley Mellinger, who is our line mm-hmm. producer. And then Kristen Munn, who was sort of my, my, like, I need, I need help. And just like my, my right. artist rep job and this job was so beneficial for me. And then it was like getting Matthew Hayes, who was our DP. Like when we were able to build out that team prior to doing this and not everybody but a lot of those people were integral into like making that shape Mm -hmm. um so that we could really do that we could go in and matthew could pop in as the dp to be able to hear some of the the pieces that we were writing every day and and uh we had a team of what seven writing um six people writing so it was something that everybody did their homework you know and everybody showed up and everybody when they when they couldn't showed up we already knew when that was so it was it was a it was a truly collaborative process hmm. i think that this idea about the resources though i think that that's a huge piece to talk about because it, it is often that you you get the idea and then you have to go shopping around to try to get the money for it <clears throat> um and like to to already have that in play um enabled us to move much more quickly i saw uh just on the subject of resources, I saw Open Signal listed as I think in the credits. I'm really interested in Open Signal. Been hearing about it recently, and I'm glad to know that they're still involved. So they contributed to the project too. Yeah, Matthew got a, a little bit of our gear from there, but also it was just something that Fanny Bell, who runs the uh, Black Filmmakers Fellowship, has always been super supportive of artist rep, and so. I think that when when it came down to it, we we actually got some really great stuff and camera sponsorship from um, Conor Camera, but Open Signal was still completely open and available to us as well. So it was important to us to also recognize them. Mm. Now, okay, yeah. So was Treasure's character agoraphobic? What was the thing yes. keeping Treasure from leaving the house? Anxiety. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> on its face and there yeah. we go I, I, there's more to it but just, just making sure because, <laughs> because I, that for me I definitely felt during quarantine this feeling of every time I left my house I felt like I had to put a space suit on especially in the first say two or three months it was like gloves and like new mask and like you know like you, you felt like you couldn't leave the house because the moment you opened your door you were going to be out in some wasteland that was extremely dangerous and you felt like you're going to die every time. And so I couldn't tell if it was something that for Treasure's character was a feeling that they had before the pandemic and they were still dealing with it and the, the pandemic heightened it, or if it was something that was just the result of the fear of COVID. For me, like, and, and, and I'd love for Don to follow me up because I think that it would be interesting to see like what Don talked with Treasure about. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but while we were writing it and, and, and talking about it, that it is agoraphobia, but it is that, and I think it's said in the radio part in the beginning, right? Where there's like the protests that are happening. And also, so we have black people out in the streets trying to say that we have a right to live without being shot over nothing um, by police on top of there being a global pandemic, which is inordinately killing black people, which if you hear that, then measured with somebody who already had anxiety about leaving the house anyway, that is of course going to exacerbate the situation. And I actually just read this really great article that was talking about people that, um, are agoraphobic during the time of the pandemic. And that's been actually a really good thing because other people have gotten really good about not being together in a space and still being able to be social. And I think that's, that is, that is that interesting piece that to me that CL has is that regardless of if you can't connect, if CL is like that or not prior to the pandemic happening, what you do get is that intense sense of um, anxiety that is not tied to who we actually see of CL while they're in their comfortable space. Feels a joyful character when you see them in the apartment and be bopping around. And one of my favorite parts is like seeing CL's like little booty dance while they're getting the yogurt (laughs) from out of the fridge. Like they are a happy character. And just to see that transition, and they for opening the door is 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 pretty beautiful mm-hmm. and start in its starkness. Yeah, I, I think it I think it was something that was was uh happening before but was made worse by this moment in time. And the thing that um Treasure and I talked about was that the idea that they are perhaps a joyful person, but part of what they're doing is they're they're kind of giving themselves a pep talk the whole day that they're you know, a certain amount of that is a put on to be like, it's going to be great. You know, like they're just kind of getting themselves mentally ready for something. And then we start to see cracks in that um, when they take their pill, um, mm-hmm. which is I actually, I didn't notice it until after when we were looking in the edit that it actually on the pill bottle, it says agoraphobia. Yes. <laughs> I didn't realize that she had done that. Our production designer had done that. Cause I was like, I don't know if that would actually be, but anyway, so there it is. A little little Easter egg for you. Look for that agoraphobia. Yeah, yeah, I have to look for that. You said you you, you kind of worked on it for several weeks. When was it actually filmed and and when was it written? And and was it changing as the pandemic was progressing? Like um, what was happening? Because I don't know, the, the way that I felt, you know, two months into the pandemic is different than I feel now a year into the pandemic, though there's a lot of the similar things. So I'm just curious about the, you know, the growth there. We've, uh, yeah, we we wrote in mid-October and we filmed in mid-November and it, it is kind of like an amalgamation of time, like some of these events, you know, at some point the unemployment line got fixed, but also um, there were other pieces that like the, the protests kind of also had a peak and they didn't all necessarily happen at the same time, but we played them out as happening in the same day in this story. And um, it's also fall in the <laughs> in the exterior shot. So we had a conversation about like how, you know, we're just going to be okay with saying it's, uh, you know, 
we're putting all of these things as if they're happening at the same time, but they didn't necessarily in real life. But it is a documentation of the year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the whole pandemic has kind of felt like the same day every day. So (laughs) true. Yeah. Right. It's the Zoom. It's the Zoom fatigue of uh, that your memory, right, is tied to you having actionable items. But if you're always here, then it just feels like the same thing over and over again. It was like Groundhog Day. Exactly. There was a period, I want to say maybe April or May, where for three weeks, I just didn't leave my couch. (laughs) Like it was just every day was the same. And it was just like binging TV. And it was just like, the oh, the sun's up now. Oh, the sun's down now. You know, and like, it was just like, I lost so much time. And I was like, no, I can't do this. You know, like there were so many uh, seasons. And within the quarantine, especially that beginning part of the lockdown, to tag onto that question now that you have experienced quarantine up until this point is there anything you would change about the film or about the writing knowing what you know now john i don't know the answer like, to that question like if you were I making mean, it now i mean i don't i mean I mean, now that I, people are watching it and they're saying they love it, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, <laughs> well, that's great. Exactly. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I mean, nothing comes to mind. I mean, I think that, yeah, I, that's the thing that's weird about film too, is that it does get rewritten like three yeah. different times, you know, like the original writing and then the filming things change and then it get, again in the edit, things end up changing. And so, I mean, I had the ability to do that as we were going like, oh, let's, I mean, there were right. things that I added late at the, mm-hmm. in the edit specifically to change the meaning of something. Um, so, yeah. I do think it was interesting no, that, I mean, I... that uh, Trump was kind <laughs> of like missing, which is so interesting because Trump was such a big part of all of this. And I, and I mean, you know, respect for focusing on the, the black people and, and making the story about them. But there was kind of like, during quarantine, this oppressive atmosphere coming from the White House the entire time. And um, I just think it's interesting that when you're watching See Me, that's not, you're not experiencing that. You know, you're experiencing the day-to-day, you're experiencing, like you say, the slice of life, but you're not experiencing just the day after day of just brutalization of the tweets and the changing the policies and the negating of the truth and and the and the other huge aspect of what drove us all insane this year or over the past year uh, was that a was that a specific yeah. choice i mean that, that inane i mean it wasn't that wasn't something that was in the script it didn't come up in the writer's room but that little inane exchange between the two people arguing like one of them is wearing red one of them is wearing blue that was like a little nod to that but i'm glad like i don't want to i want to put something there, like, there I don't, like i don't i mean are we real like i um I think it's something that there's a lot that's not explicitly there, but that we know by placing it in 2020 that it weighs on everyone that's there. Yeah. Yeah. It was important. um, I think, and Don said this many times of that. This is, um, this is a slice of life of three black people. um, But at the same time, we're not putting out, um you know tragedy porn like it's not this like epic scale of like the how much black people have gone through throughout our entire existence it is literally about a slice of life because in the original oxygen group 
that was one of the things that we were talking about, which is that why don't we get slice of life films? Mm-hmm. We don't have anything that's like that. Like we're either in 12 years a slave, which is also a great movie, or we're like all the way over here and coming to America, but there's not this like, you know, um, uh, Wes Anderson does the, you know, those yeah, little slice of lives where it just takes place over a week. And then that's kind of it. And, and I'm like, where that for, for us? Like, we don't have that. And also it, it's really, um, it's a love letter to the black people that lived in the city of Portland during that time. We, we all didn't, I mean, don't get me wrong. There were definitely down moments, but like not every moment was like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that just having every character seeking out a little bit of that joy, um, is where where the heart of the film ends up being. Yeah, and that that animation was so beautiful of that finding that joy. I just <laughs> I absolutely love that. And and you said you had an animator in from the beginning. Is amazing. Yeah. Uh I found Aki on a like artist of color website for Portland mm-hmm. and um fell in love with their website and art and so I did the same thing I just sort of cold emailed them like I did with Don and hopped on the phone and all of a sudden Aki was just saying like yeah this is right up my alley and I like everything that you're saying and how you're making it and Don worked with Aki in a more personal level in terms of like really doing all the tweaks for the animation but Aki's that great person in a room who always offers the the little Aki comment super duper smart that you're like oh yeah okay you're right you're right let's fix that you know and so like that is such a joy to have that person in the room Mm. and not only that but to find an animator that heard me say I don't have a script and that we're writing it in the first week. And then, by the way, you're doing all the animation that follows <laughs> after it for us to try to get into Piff. Um, that takes a lot of that takes a lot of guts and courage to say, yep, I can do that. And they did. Yeah. A beautiful they job. Sure did. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain the writing process for Andrea's character having heightened language and just what that meant to you? There was a moment in time where we took each person that was writing took all three characters and then wrote um wrote something and um Josie Seed came up she was one of the writers came up with that bit and that convention for this character and at the time um, and Phil, I think you were in the room when we were talking about, like, when we were talking about why, because the character that she is reading from is from Titus Andronicus, which is like one of the bloodiest Shakespearean plays ever, and also just like evil, like that. That most of the characters in that in that play are sagely evil, and Aaron in particular is that person, and so there's something the reason why we kept it we went through rounds of like do we want to change it do we want to have other things I looked up other other things that could have fit and it really is the thing of that language and that speech from Aaron is so lush Mm. and it fits so well also against the 
monotony and juxtaposition of having a black woman who is just getting ready for a date to hear on Zoom all day all of this exhaustion from all of these white colleagues that for her to have this audition piece that is rooted in in sort of savage like intensity mm-hmm. um felt right they have also wasn't wasn't totally sure about it to be honest and uh we had a meeting i asked josie to meet with us because it was josie that had conceived of this idea and and we did look at other possibilities but none of them had the same kind of like focused intensity as being about like bloody murder <laughs> and they would go on to these other subjects and and, and it just there's something about it being so focused on that one thing that it, um, it, I think it instantly creates this tension in the story. Like, what is happening? Like, mm-hmm. is she a murderer? And then to me, it became about perception. And that was what uh, I talked with Drea about, just that it's like, you know, is she the angry black woman? Is she the murderous angry black woman? You know, who, what, what is going on here? And it, and it also, to me, then became this expression of rage that she wasn't, she's a character that is like surrounded by white people, you know, like presumably gets a text, uh, the zoom call, like her world is white and, and, you know, she lives in this house. Like there's just things about her that um, kind of have set her up to um, in some ways, just like not be able to express the rage that she might actually feel from little slights or microaggressions or just the way her, her world is set up. And, and, in my mind, at the very end, I'm not going to give away the end. Never mind. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> well, I was, I was about say, to talk about it, but I don't want... <laughs> I, so I, I, I like the choice. I even liked it back in the workshop period. Um, I didn't think you did. You well, were I, like, you I should think about out, that. I pointed out, <laughs> I pointed out that if it, if it was a choice that we were going to make at that moment, then we just needed to be clear about why we were making that choice. But yeah. seeing See Me as a finished product, I thought it was very clear. And I also felt like, to me, what resonated with the text was this idea of the backdrop of the protests. So this idea of vengeance and this idea of feeling like there is this, like you're saying, this white world that's just surrounding you and you can't break out of it. But at the same time, the emotional life of knowing that we're fighting for our civil rights. So I felt like the Aaron monologue actually worked really well with that backdrop. It was harder to, it was harder, you know, and this is just mm-hmm. the thing with scripts. It's harder to read than it is to see. But I, yeah. I just, I, you know, I appreciated the choice and I'm glad that it ended up making it all the way through because it also kind of gave uh, the the entire piece, which is such a slice of life piece, just this like element that's just a little bit different, like an accent. Yeah, uh, it was really unique. I, I will nod to theater. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was and theatrical. it was not to the theater folks too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So yeah, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll do headlines. We'll do some plugs and then we'll wrap it up. Is your smart TV outsmarting you? Are you drowning in a sea of remotes? Are you sick of tangled wires? Would your TV look better on the wall? Are you still watching online theater shows on your laptop? Practice good home theater hygiene with Clifton Connect. As technology tries to make our lives easier, it often just seems like it's complicating things. Clifton will help you make sense of it all by optimizing and streamlining your home entertainment experience. As your favorite local artists are creating better and better online content, keep up with the quality and experience the art at its full potential. 
Uplift and Connect offers installation and integration of new and existing devices, system upkeep, consultation, recommendation, and supply. Find us online at cliftonconnect.net or email us at clifton at cliftonconnect.net. And we're back. It's time for headlines. Yay! <laughs> headlines. Everyone's favorite part of the show. Uh, so we are going to read a couple headlines to you, and you just kind of give us your take. This first headline, it's really interesting, actually. Uh, this came out, I think, last week. A cephalopod has passed a cognitive test designed for human children. Okay? One more time. A cephalopod has passed a cognitive test designed for human children. For those of you who don't know what a cephalopod is, it's a very weird-looking sea creature. I think... Kind of like octopus almost. Looks like that. (laughs) It's kind of like an octopus. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like an octopus or a squid or something. (laughs) I think we just... We don't don't know what we don't know. There's like so much. I I guess I go like someplace mystical quickly. (laughs) Oh, well, where's that? (laughs) Yeah, where is that? (laughs) It just... Makes me think of you know that Snuffleupagus was invisible except for the big bird until <laughs> other people really start like until he believed that he could be seen and then other people could see him. That's oh, wow. what I just felt like that was. That's why I was like, what like a cephalopod? You know what I mean? Like yeah. it just seems like this thing that like how do we see me? It goes into that, right? Yeah, thank you. It goes into what Don was just saying, right? Like of this, like we don't know, we don't know until we know it, and and this idea of like there's a bajillion things like that in this world that we have no idea about. I mean, it really you begs know, the question. For one of the smartest yeah. creatures ever. I mean, are they gonna like take over? If <laughs> they did. Yeah, I mean, I guess they did. <laughs> <laughs> we go back to the sea. <laughs> also, what is this? Yeah, test? because we know that you know, poor poor Johnny's not doing great in school given the pandemic, and <laughs> cephalopods are gonna have to like. Right, it's like what child did they actually compare it to? Yeah, that's they're advancing. It's a good yeah, question. It's true. I just also want to know, like, what kind of test do you give a cephalopod? I mean, is it just like putting a square into, like, getting it through the hole, you know, like blocks or something? <laughs> read this paragraph. I am now going to have to read this. We have to do further research into this. So, yeah, so that's that's important, and everyone should know about that because we are okay <laughs> we I'm may in fact Googling lose it right our this game is more fun than i thought <laughs> okay this uh, this next one happened i think a couple of days ago uh, it has to do with the ex ceo of papa john's so oh, may you may have heard about yeah. this so papa john's ex ceo says he's been working for the last 20 months to get rid of this n word in my vocabulary that's a quote from him yeah <laughs> from the papa <laughs> from papa himself do you think it would take you 20 months to get rid of the n-word from your vocabulary if you were the ceo of papa john's in a white male how often was he using that That's what word I'm saying. if it taken him 20 months to get rid of it and he's like working that is the, the the likeness when so when i was a kid I said the word like a lot. Mm. And the way that my dad got me out of that was to say like to me when I said it. 
and I cool. hated that. So it just got me out of that. So I can only imagine, like, that's what I'm envisioning is that he has this person <laughs> that's living with him. And every time he says the N word, they say the N word so that he acknowledges how many times he's saying it. Maybe that's why so, it's taking so long. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just like that. If it's just, you just hear it, it just becomes like the word fuck from uh, like the first season of, um, it was like, a, it was a super great show, but it had Wendell Pierce in it. The Wire. The, the wire. wire. There's this. There's oh, The that, Wire. Yeah. Okay, there's that okay, scene yeah. in The Wire where he and the other cop are just saying fuck to each other back and forth in the apartment building but it means different things like that's what i'm imagining if it takes him that long that actually is probably really accurate of like what the household sounds like oh god and to think i used to like papa john's it's so no? sweet it is sweet the sauce is sweeter but it comes with the garlic sauce okay now let's <laughs> <laughs> not turn this into a papa john's yeah, I was like, hey watch it now well we it's, like it's under papa new management <laughs> One more. Give us one more. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, Duel, well, we were just talking about this, and actually, Don maybe can fill us in. So, Pierce Morgan stormed off this yeah. the set of some show uh, when they were calling him out yeah. about Oprah. What can you use, like, what happened? Yeah, I was like, BBC, good morning, or so. I don't know. But he, uh, Pierce Morgan was being called out by, like, a co-anchor for his attacks on Meghan Markle. And in the middle of it, he was just like, okay okay, I'm not staying here. And he just like gets up and walks out, um, which is just, I, I feel like he's always being attacked because he's always an asshole and, and saying things. So it's kind of surprising that he like had had enough like all of a sudden on live air. Like, I, I don't know what preceded that. And now he's been fired, actually. I think I saw that he'd been fired. I think it's because he is one of those people, one of those like dickish people that can say all of that stuff, but as soon as somebody says something to him, he can't take it. Yeah. He definitely seems that way. Maybe because it was in person and I, I only read, like, I don't know how often he gets confronted by a coworker on the air. Can That's I just, what I'm I saying, is yeah. that like, he can't, he can't take, can't take it. But yeah. he says the word, like, he's, he's a really um, despicable human being. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they say about bullies, right? That's like proof that you just, yeah. you just gotta... Stand, stand up to him face to face yeah. yeah can we just talk about Good the riddance. fact that so ever since this uh megan markle oprah interview came out it's kind of split our nation and there are right wingers who are taking the side of the royalty so the i'm british yeah. monarchy <laughs> I'm these people confused. that are like america are like go british monarchy it is the dumbest shit i've ever heard yeah. <laughs> it, mind you, these are the same people who beat police officers with American flags. <laughs> so, I don't think right. anything matters yeah. to them anymore. But I just it, it's surreal to think that the hill that you're going to die on in 2021 is taking the side of the crown <laughs> over an American citizen. And let's it's like skip, that, let's put that. Yeah. What they're doing is taking the side of the racists. Yep. <laughs> Exactly. Because that was actually the biggest part of that was she was saying that it was so horribly racist that like she couldn't deal with it. Right. And that is that to be clear, like that's why they're doing that. But I just don't think that anybody has really gone just rolled back in that history Rolodex 
and just being like, remember that war that we fought so that we would come here to do that? Like, no, you don't care. No, okay. So where is your allegiance? Hamilton's on Disney Plus. So you can just see it real quick. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I got to say that that interview was epic and probably the best content that came out you know, in a while. I mean, it's, it's so historic because now I really think that the monarchy is in, is in question. It's like and for the next 30 years, people will know, like, without a doubt that this is what's going on. And then there's, you know, I, I don't know if you saw it, but there was a lot of questions that came up about just like, who really has the power in this situation? It's not the monarchs. It's the media. Yeah. That was the most interesting thing to me. Maybe because I'm also, I don't know as much about like that culture and the British mm-hmm. tabloids, but just like hearing them say that they live in fear from the tabloids and that they're interdependent on each other, this right. kind of symbiotic relationship and that they have parties where they invite the British tabloids. Like yeah. that was, that seemed crazy to me. I didn't, I didn't know about that relationship. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like Meghan Markle had to like flash her camera at Harry, you know, to get him out of there. <laughs> That's a good out joke. I see you get out. Or the reverse men in black. Like instead of you like oh, everything, right. it brings him back. Reverse men in black. That's pretty cool. Like, what am I doing here? Wait, did you see soul? Yes. You haven't seen soul, Keisha? So, oh, soul. Oh. Yes. Sorry. I heard salt and I was like, because there's, <laughs> well, there's that whole moment in Seoul where they like have the seance and they wake the person who's day trading up. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe. <laughs> we'll never know. Yes. Okay. So let's do some plugs. This is the time where you can plug anything that you feel like our audience needs to know. Um, I'll start off with, uh, of course, Cinema Unbound, the uh, Portland International Film Festival, oh, which will go on until the 14th and I don't know when this is coming out but if you happen to hear this before the 14th folks can watch see me and I think I think there will be another chance hopefully later this year to watch the film locally as well in another festival yeah um uh, artist rep has a couple of audio dramas and short videos and we have a storytelling podcast so if you go to artistrep.org um, there's all of that content that's available to you. We also have sliding scale pricing starting at zero um, and going all the way up. And so a lot of it is just to help us keep hiring people to do good work. In the past, in the past two Mercury companies, we hired 144 artists to work on 36 projects during the midst of the pandemic. And that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Wow, that's great. great. Yeah. Yeah. I've got two plugs. First, uh, we got to plug Protocol by Philip Johnson. Yay! That's my plug. Yeah. <laughs> well, I beat you to it because I'm so proud of you. Me and Phil went to college together, and he's been talking about making radio drama, radio, audio, sci fi stuff since then. So I'm so excited to listen yes. to that tonight. Nice. Oh. Um, yeah. Also, I, I wanted to plug uh, the podcast. It did happen here. It's about um, kind of the the history behind the anti-racist movement in the late 80s and early 90s in Portland with the, the, the skinheads hmm. and the murder of Mulageta Sarah. And it, it was really it's it's hosted by Mike Crenshaw, who's a local hip hop artist. Yeah. And, um, some other people, too. And it's like uh, 
It's really, really cool. It's, it's like an 11 part thing. I listen to it very fast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, totally recommend that. Awesome. Well, I'm going to replug Protocol because you yeah. stole my plug. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll add to that uh, Judas and the Black Messiah Oof. because that movie is so powerful. And to piggyback on the energy that we built this summer that we alluded mm-hmm. to in this podcast, Judas and the Black Messiah really brings it home and gives us kind of like a, a a window into the Black Panther movement and and Fred Hampton, and, and it was just so good. So if you haven't seen that, check it out. I think it's on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just want to thank both of you for spending some time with us today. It's been incredible. And it's so good to see your faces. I haven't seen you on Zoom in a while, and so it's just good to see you. <laughs> and see you. Thank you for having us. This is great. Yeah, thanks. Absolutely. I'd come back any day and just hear random headlines. And <laughs> <laughs> we should just headlines do an episode with just headlines. <laughs> just headlines. Done. Sold. Yes. Well, thank you so much. All right. And I hope you, you guys have a great very evening. Much. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radical Listening. If you have questions or would like to reach out, feel free to reach out to our email, which is radicallisteningpodcast at gmail.com, or visit the Coho Theater website for more information. And thanks for listening.